This is Sugar, a tale of motherhood and medicine. If you're just joining us, please go back and start at episode one. I'm the author, Raisa Hakoen. This memoir is my experience of becoming a first-time mother and navigating the healthcare system for my son, who was diagnosed with a rare condition. A job lost and found. My boss, let's call him Ned, who is in Atlanta, scheduled a phone call with me on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., my time. That was my first red flag. Ned doesn't work on the weekends. He's a strict office hours kind of Peter Principle manager, and he definitely doesn't work at 2 a.m. on a Sunday his time. Up to that point, I had heard about the expected layoffs, but my boss and boss's boss had assured me that our team had nothing to worry about. In addition, Israeli law protects mothers and ensures their job for three months after they return to the workplace. I was in month four. And after everything we'd already been through personally, and all Hatton had invested in us, the possibility of being let go hadn't crossed my mind until I received Ned's invite. Once I accepted his Alec invitation, I knew it was the beginning of the end. Little did I know that it was also the beginning of a new beginning. I emailed Ned that I knew 9 a.m. was an ungodly hour on his end, that I was up from 6 a.m., and that he should feel free to call me late his time on Saturday evening. The phone rang. I answered. Hi, Raysa, this is Ned. Hi, Ned. Well, Raysa, I hate to do this, but... He began to stutter. Ned, I interrupted. Let's make this quick and painless, shall we? My assertiveness caught him off guard. Well, okay, Raysa, I have to read through this official document about the restructuring. Hatton had internally given the limited restructuring the secret codename Project Skyline, so anyone involved would know and anyone outside would think it was just another customer project. As you know, he began, in August, Hatton announced a limited restructuring of 8% of the Hatton workforce. As he read on, his voice faded into the background. My mind began to wander as I heard random groups of words. Limited restructuring. Impacted our group. You are on notice. Your position has been selected for elimination. You will have a hearing. Share your thoughts before a final decision is made. Unbelievable, I thought. How could they do this to me? After all we've been through, this is the last thing I need. They had earned so much loyalty for me during my maternity leave, and I get fired five minutes later? Aside from the fact that I'm a highly motivated, ambitious, and qualified employee with an Ivy League education and an international MBA, I could run our department better than 90% of the Hatton robots like Ned. Fortunately, in Israel, companies are required to go through a formal HR process before employees are fired. They schedule a date for my hearing, and I came prepared to present my case. Two weeks later, I was called into a formal meeting with a Hatton manager and an HR representative. She began with the same official speech. As you know, in August, Hatton announced a limited restructuring of 8% of the Hatton workforce. She read the document in its entirety, even though I had heard it once. Now is your opportunity to express anything you'd like to share. I began by reading my initial letter to the company's CEO, 
that I'd written before I returned from maternity leave, as well as his reply. I knew that many of the people being laid off were extremely qualified, so that strategy wouldn't work. But if I could play on the hierarchy that corporations worship so well, maybe I had a chance. I read the CEO's reply. Thank you for sending us your email and sharing with us the sometimes painful journey that your family has been on. I am so thankful and proud that the Hatton family and all of our resources were made available to you and your son to get you to a good place. We are glad to have you rejoin the team and your contributions to Hatton are all the gratitude you need to show us. My voice quivered. That was a short four months ago, I said. And in this time, while I've accomplished many tasks and initiated projects, it is hardly the time needed to repay the great debt of gratitude that I owe this company. And then I lost it completely. The manager ran out to get me a glass of water and there was already a box of tissues strategically placed on the table. In addition to returning from maternity leave, I still need to somehow provide my son with continuous care. We have monthly checkups at the hospital with his endocrinologist. My husband or I am home with him all the time. We are also currently undergoing genetic mapping to evaluate whether this situation is preventable in the future. I hope that you will take all of these matters under consideration as you review my file. Not as composed as I would have liked, but I covered all of my prepared points. Thank you for your time, said the woman from HR. Somebody from the team will be in contact with you shortly. I had heard that Hatton was giving out an additional five-month severance to all those fired. Other colleagues had received their official notices a day or two later. So when I was invited back into HR for another meeting the following week, I wasn't sure what to expect. The same HR woman and her exact doppelganger were sitting around a round conference table. Both plain, heavy-set, blonde, and dispassionate, dulled by years of sitting behind a desk, pushing paper and other mindless, bureaucratic tasks, which I normally call monkey work. So average and unmemorable that if you had a three-hour meeting with them face-to-face that wasn't about your future, you'd never remember it. Since I had already gotten into the habit of nicknaming, I'll call them Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Tweedledee began our second meeting in the same way as our first. As you know, in August, Hatton announced a limited restructuring of 8% of the Hatton workforce. She read the document in its entirety again. Since you shared such a compelling story in our last meeting, Hatton would like to offer you a seven-month severance package. Regular Hatton employees are receiving one month's notice plus five-month severance, and Hatton would like to give you two months' notice plus a seven-month severance package. So am I fired? I asked, confused. But for more money? Well, she continued, your position has been selected for elimination. We would like to offer you this package, and if you accept, you will be required to sign a mutual separation agreement. What is that? I thought to myself. Why would they offer me more money? Was Hatton being a benevolent dictator, or was I missing something? Corporations don't usually act out of selflessness, but they were good to me before. Maybe this is a bittersweet goodbye? Is that possible? Why don't you take a day or two to think about it, and then we'll meet to sign the paperwork, she suggested. And just like that, the meeting was over, and I was left wondering what had just happened. Did I get fired for a second time? Why would they offer me more money to leave? I went to my office and shut the door. My head fell into my lap. 
I was so angry and confused. Hadn't I been through enough? I was so angry for being fired, and for some reason, offering me more money only added insult to injury. In my first two HR meetings, I had felt disempowered, unfamiliar with the process, and unsure of myself since my return from maternity leave. I had been a passenger on the Hatton train to unemployment, but for my third meeting, I came fully prepared, guns blazing. I had done my homework this time. As I suspected, Hatton was not a benevolent dictator. And after a brief consultation with my lawyer friend, I realized that Israeli law protects women across a variety of medical categories. Apparently, our genetic mapping process with the hospital technically fell into a gray area under one of those categories. And as such, I was legally protected. Hatton couldn't fire me without going through an extensive governmental legal process. This legal protection necessitated a mutual separation agreement for Hatton to fire me. My lawyer friend assured me that if they could have legally fired me, they would have done it already. They couldn't hang me, but they could persuade me to hang myself. And such was the task of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. With that knowledge and protection, I took my seat at the HR conference table for the third time with Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I had a clear strategy. This was a chess game, and if I played it correctly, I could keep my job. I angled my iPhone at the center of the table to record the conversation, should I need it for evidence later. Tweedledee repeated herself for the hundredth time. As you know, in August, Hatton announced a limited restructuring of 8% of the Hatton workforce. Hatton is offering a seven-month severance package, and to receive this package, you will need to sign this agreement. She pushed the mutual separation agreement across the table and handed me a pen. I leafed through the paperwork and placed it back on the table. Thank you for this generous offer, I said. I certainly appreciate your efforts. Having said that, I'm a highly qualified employee. I have an international MBA and an Ivy League undergraduate education. I'm a hard worker, extremely dedicated to the success of this organization. I can provide references from my colleagues regarding my qualifications and contributions to this company. Given that, I would like to keep my job. And if that's not possible, I would elect to stay within Hatton. Wouldn't you prefer some time off to spend with your son? Asked Tweedledum. That is what my maternity leave was for. Now I'm back and eager to contribute to the success of this company. Well, your position has been eliminated and it's not that easy just to find you a new position. If you were an engineer or a developer, it would be easier to do. But that's not possible for an analyst position, said Tweedledee. Well, I began, as of yesterday, I noted 121 open analyst positions across Hatton, 69 of which allow for flexible or remote work. In the past few weeks, I've applied to 57 of those positions, which I thought were relevant. Wouldn't it be possible to help me move to one of those positions, I asked, maintaining my composure. I had made a decision tree of all the possible moves and counter moves, questions and counter questions, answers and counter answers. Where I was unprepared before, I was overly prepared now. Furthermore, I continued, if I were to consider your package, which I'm not, but if I were, it's too financially risky. What do you mean, asked Tweedledum. It's a very generous package for a Hatton employee. I agree, I said. It's a great package for a regular Hatton employee. But for an employee who was four months back from maternity leave, it's risky. And for an employee four months back from maternity leave, 
with a baby at home who requires special attention, it's definitely too risky. Say for example, I took your package and then I was unemployed and got pregnant again in the next few months. I'd be pregnant for nine months where no one would hire me, plus four months of state paid maternity leave, that's 17 months, almost two years I'd be out of the workforce. Lost salary, lost pension, lost bonuses, lost promotions, plus it's harder to get hired after being out of the workforce for that long. You can get hired while you're pregnant, Tweedledum interjected. You don't even have to tell them until you start showing. That was just too dumb to dignify with a response. Nonetheless, it's too risky. If the risk was substantially mitigated, I would consider the package, but I would prefer to keep my job. Hatton has 90,000 employees, 6,000 in Israel. I'm sure that I am qualified for something. Obviously, you need to run this up the totem pole, I said patronizingly. I'll be in my office for the next couple of hours, or we can schedule another meeting later in the week. Boom. I slid the papers back onto the table gracefully. Tweedledee and Tweedledum looked at me with their mouths open. I left the conference door open behind me. My shoes clicked the floor as I exited towards the elevator. And I felt so good in that moment. Checkmate. Meeting four was with Tweedledee. Tweedledum was on vacation. Tweedledee. As you know, in August, Hatton announced a limited restructuring of 8% of the Hatton workforce. Shoot me if I have to hear this spiel one more time. We understand that you are unhappy with the original severance offered. She walked over to the whiteboard in the meeting room and began to draw a diagram. The original offer was two months on payroll with a seven-month severance package. Our current offer is 10 months of severance. You can have it as three months on payroll with a seven-month severance package or two months on payroll with eight months of severance. It's your choice. My mom used to use this strategy on my sister and me. Would you like to brush your teeth before or after the bath? Would you like to do the dishes before or after TV time? She was creating the illusion of choice. Would you like a five-foot or a six-foot rope to hang yourself with? Velvet or satin? I politely declined. It would be a nice cushion, but I really had nothing to lose in the long term. I needed to keep my job, and if it was my legal right, I would choose to exercise it. The next day, I received a letter notifying me that my position had been eliminated, but I was still a Hatton employee, and I would still report to my current manager. Tweedledee concluded the process with a sneer, saying that I should consider these past few weeks as a gift from Hatton. She literally used the word gift, since Hatton had not required me to count these past few weeks as vacation days. I wanted to punch her in the face, or at least give her the finger on my way out. But I was still a Hatton employee, and she was a colleague. So I mustered my most genuine fake smile, accepted the letter, and exited for the elevator. I had achieved my objective, but for some reason, victory didn't feel particularly sweet. I tasted the sweetness of victory a few weeks later when I found, interviewed for, and won a new position within Hatton, far outside of my current group. The position was not only a promotion, but I also beat out other candidates across Europe, as this position was originally offered in Brussels, and they relocated the position to Jerusalem to accommodate my location. And just like that, the Hatton employment roller coaster was over, or at least on pause. And at least for the present moment, I felt like the odds were in my favor. 
Uncertainty. Life is so goddamn unpredictable and cruel. We build these walls, social constructs, as my professor Brown would say. Walls made of ideas. Walls that fortress society and allow it to run smoothly. I work, I'll get a paycheck. I follow traffic laws, I'll be safe. Metaphorical walls that make life feel predictable. But it is all just an illusion. An illusion of reality. In ancient times, different societies believed in a different god for every uncertainty. A god for protection, a god for fruitful crops, a god for rain, a god for bounty, a god for love. Their lives were by far more unpredictable than those in modern society. Although, if you go to any third world country today, you can still taste what a world of uncertainty is like. You live for the present day, as no one can guarantee what tomorrow will bring. A tsunami, a flood, a famine, a war. And so you pray to all your gods to keep the frail walls of your home, of your society, intact for one more day. In modern times, civilization built seemingly strong walls as daily life became more predictable and certain. Simultaneously, society whittled down its belief system. It abandoned gods. As society embraced monotheism, there was a shift in understanding that while specific uncertainties remained, if you follow the rules of society, things will generally work out in your favor. The American dream. Work hard. Achieve. Build. Acquire. But every time you find yourself face to face with one of those remaining uncertainties, illness, love, conception, pregnancy, birth, raising children, you are reminded just how terrifying this world is, how all the walls we build crumble under the weight of uncertainty. Just one thing can randomly go wrong. Someone can fall chronically ill. Couples can struggle with fertility. Pregnancies can miscarry. And all the walls come tumbling down. We create the illusion that we are in control. When things come crashing down, we realize that none of it is actually in our hands. The one God that's left cannot close the gap on uncertainty. It's funny that modern day society calls natural disasters an act of God. Aren't we just acknowledging that the only God that remains is the master of uncertainty? The God of unpredictability. And she's a bitch, isn't she? sweet taste of freedom. And then the holidays roll around again, and you're reminded of how far you've come. Last year, you rolled you, my dear son, in your bassinet to Passover Seder at your grandfather's. You were hooked up to a continuous glucagon pump and a continuous feed of Nutramogen formula concoction to keep your sugars up. And despite that, your sugar still dropped. They plummeted at a moment's notice with no warning. And this year... We approached freedom anew. Without a continuous feed, on a sandestatin pump with three-hour breaks in between. When your sugars fall, they float, slowly enough for us to manage, and even at one and a half years, you are old enough to communicate, to give us a specific signal, to tell us that your sugars need attending to. Such a smart boy. My darling, we are so proud of you, of how far you've come. 
Every time I take you to the park and you laugh gleefully on the swings, I am reminded that there was a time that you were hooked up to so many life-saving machines that swings, that any independent movement, weren't even an option. That wasn't such a long time ago. As the sun beats down on us, I think that you and I enjoy the park more than anyone else there. We appreciate the sun, the wind, the outdoors, because we were stuck inside for so many months under the fluorescent lights. We appreciate the swings, the slide, the merry-go-round, because once you were not mobile, hospital-bound, and then homebound for such a long time. A jail with invisible walls. A life-saving one, but a jail just the same. And now, we are free. You're dependent on things, but in a way that is totally manageable and almost second nature to us now. We are mobile, we are happy, and you are growing like such a big, strong boy. Beyond any scenario that I could have envisioned just a year ago. As painful as the memory is, it is just that, a memory. The wounds will be forever emblazoned, but the scars have begun to heal. Our physical and emotional scars have begun to disappear and we have begun to heal. And sometimes I think back. I think back to when we were barely living, slowly dying. I think about others, those who are enslaved by life, enslaved by death. I remember that time, those times, when your body could feel like a prison. And I think of those people and hope. I didn't dare hope back then. Hope was too dangerous. And now, I hope for a time when we can all be free. Happy second birthday. To my darling son on your second birthday, there are no words. No words to express. No words to illuminate the depth of my pride, the height of my joy, the intensity of my love for you, and how much I treasure being your mother. We have been through so much, so much in these two short years. Time has flown by, but there were times where it inched by, day by day, hour by hour. There is no bigger transition, no more drastic change than that of becoming a first-time parent. I have never felt so broken or so whole, so high from your accomplishments and so low from your pain. Life was never so bright or so dark before I entered parenthood. You have overcome so much in your brief time in this world. For that, I am so proud and so grateful. We still have our daily struggles, but it's mostly a story of management, sugar management, managing our daily schedule and life around your sugars and your many medical appointments. And mostly we have it down to a science. We don't really know parenthood any other way. And while there were definitely highs and lows, it has gotten so much easier and so much better. We went from hospitalization to homebound from homebound to mobile, incredible progress for only two years. As I look back, I remember the dark times, 
when time felt like it had completely stopped. Our life had been suspended for the foreseeable future. And I want to tell that new mother, who is in the darkest place imaginable, that it will get easier. It will get better. Change is the only constant, even if you can't always feel it. Now, I wake up every day, relish your morning smile, and cherish our morning reading time before breakfast. How you finish the rhymes in your hop-on-pop book and skip to your favorite pages, laughing uncontrollably, protesting when Pat sits on the cactus. I treasure our trips to the park and pushing you on the swing as you laugh and giggle with pleasure. Every day is a wonder and a treasure. I cherish these times all the more because it is a life that I never could have imagined a life I never could have pictured in those first few months when we were confined to the hospital. I never could have imagined then that it would be this good, full of this much joy. I never could have imagined this much light amidst all that darkness. I could go on to build a billion dollar company or cure cancer, and you would still be the achievement of which I am most proud. As we celebrate your second birthday, I wish for you that it only continues to get better, that you are given only the best of what this life has to offer, that your health continues to improve and that you experience a full recovery. May you be blessed with health, joy, love, and amazing adventures. And may you always know that your Ema loves you. Love always, Ema. Epilogue. When this memoir is published, you'll be two and a half years old. From its inception to its publishing, you have grown from a newborn in the NICU into a little boy. And anyone who hasn't read this memoir would never know the difference. They would see an adorable little boy who is obsessed with cars and construction, Hop on Pop and Peppa Pig, who counts to 10 and bosses everyone around. They would mistake us for any other loving parents trying to juggle it all and chase around an active little boy in the midst of his terrible twos. I have written about being grateful, but words cannot do the emotion justice. When I speak to others about what we've been through, I liken the process of becoming a patient or the caregiver of a patient to the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. However, during a health crisis, the stages ebb and flow into each other. They circle back around in different shades, and the acceptance part is more elusive as the outcomes of diagnoses and treatments are less clear and less finite. As I read over my words, some of which I wrote more than two years ago, I can find all those stages and emotions embedded in the chapters in various forms. I no longer recognize that writer, that mother, that darkness. I remember her, but I don't know her anymore. As we slowly fought tooth and nail for our regular lives back, we tried to forget, to put the darkness behind us, and to not let it affect our future. Now, we have the luxury of allowing ourselves to dream and to hope. In the comfort of our own home, with the worst behind us, we can paint a bright future. A future filled with adventures, a future bright beyond recognition. 
the future that I imagined for you in the beginning, when life was pregnant with possibilities. I wish I could say that I learned something from the experience. I wish I could say that something positive came of our story. All I know is that love makes you capable of anything. Looking back at this memoir, I never would have thought that I had the strength to contend with any of these challenges. Love transforms you and gives you superhuman strength. It is humanity's only superpower. Let love be the music that carries you. Continue to hope, continue to love, continue to get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. Just doing that makes you a very brave person. Thank you for listening. This has been Sugar, a tale of motherhood and medicine. And I'm the author, Raisa Hakoen. You can find us on Amazon.com or like us on Facebook. This podcast has been produced by Aaron Leader and mastered by Keith Rigling. <laughs>